Turn with me in your Bibles to two places. Daniel chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 24. We've continued to kind of springboard off of Matthew 24 and Daniel chapter 2. Let's read first from the words of Jesus. Just hold your place in Daniel chapter 2. Let's read from the words of Jesus first in Matthew 24. Jesus speaking. Remember, we're going to go to the book of Daniel in just a second. So uh, it's noteworthy what Jesus starts off here with. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, I'm sorry, verse 15 if you're Matthew 24, verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. John puts that parenthetical phrase there. Then let those who are in, those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes but woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. Winter in Jerusalem can be very wet, can be very muddy, trying to get out so related to that. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days will be shortened. And if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. Therefore, if they say to you, look, he is in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe. For as lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. Now the next section is also about the tribulation as well, uh, or the end of the tribulation. I realized by the end of the week that there was no way I could do all of this today. So you're getting... Part of the seven-year tribulation today, the next part next week, then Sam, then the rapture, and that's how it'll roll. So over to Daniel chapter 2, we just read from Jesus, he actually referenced the prophet Daniel. Of course, he's referencing that 70-week prophecy that's in chapter 9. But we're looking at chapter 2. Chapter 2, picking it up with verse... 31, Daniel here is speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar, the great king of the Babylonian Empire. And Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And he didn't just have a dream. He told all of his wise men and his astrologers and his satraps and all that. He told them they had to tell him what his dream was or they'd be dead. That's one thing for you to tell someone, here's my dream, now interpret it. Daniel said, Nebuchadnezzar said, I'm not telling you the dream. You tell me the dream. So here's what he has. 
Verse 31, you, O king, Daniel does know the dream and tells him what it is. You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image, this great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was fine gold, its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out with hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, and the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them, so no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Turn one other place in Daniel, Daniel chapter 12. So that's chapter 2. Fast forward 10 10 chapters to chapter 12. By the way, when it comes to the end times and the seven-year tribulation, there are many verses that I will not have time to read that I wish we could. So we're having to take a few that, we, that, that connect to the main construct and put them together. So Daniel chapter 12, pick it up with me, verse 9, very end of the book. He said, go your way, Daniel. For the words are closed up and sealed till the end of time. Daniel must have had a massive sigh of relief when the, the end of the he's like, whew, no more of this heavy prophecy stuff coming my way. He says, many shall be purified and made white and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly. None of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is the, the wisdom of salvation, the wisdom that comes with salvation, the Holy Spirit in us. Verse 11, and from that time the daily sacrifice is taken away, and the abomination of desolation is set up. There shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest and will rise to your inheritance at the end of days. Isn't verse 13 a very comforting verse? If you got that, if you're Daniel, go your way, you'll rest now. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you again for this time, this morning. We thank you for your word. We pray that you give us the understanding of it, the wisdom that it can only come by your Holy Spirit. I pray for your help. Uh, I pray for your anointing. And yet at the same time, you'd remove me that we might each hear from your word and you, Jesus, our Savior. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, approximately 4,400 years ago, this world that we live in had become so godless, so rebellious, so wicked that God sent a flood, a worldwide flood that included 40 straight days of rain. But that wasn't all. The subterranean springs of the earth exploded upward with a force that broke open the crust of the earth so the flooding came from above and below. You would be sandwiched between... You ever seen how powerful water is? There was no way of escape. The Earth's topography and the atmosphere, even to this day, is still changed. We have Sahara Desert. We have Gobi Desert. We have polar ice caps in the north and the south. All because of that flood. 
And based on our current worldwide birth rates, and taking into account the longer lifespans that were before the flood, there was less prevalence of disease before the flood, and there was less decay before the flood. And depending on the wars that took place that aren't recorded and violence and other factors, the pre-flood estimate of population was on the low range, 750 million. That's the low that I've seen. And on the upper end, some believe 7 billion plus, same as today. Just both are possible. There was, there was more livable land then, probably by far, than there is now. Jesus mentions in this same Olivet Discourse, later in chapter 24, that just as it was in the days of Noah, it would be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus said it would be the same climate. And it could have been more than just the same climate. It could have been a lot of populations could have been the same. It's even plausible that the ark was considered low-tech. And maybe that's why Noah was mocked. Everything could have been, they could have, you know, they, they found little hieroglyphics of airplanes and in Egyptian ex excavations and things. It's very possible that the, the ark was considered, why would you get in that dumpy thing? We don't know. But of the entire world's population, every single person perished except for Noah and his family. Eight people in the ark. Eight total. Everyone else ignored every warning, every time Noah preached, every time he said this is what God's going to do, and they were all tragically swept away. We'll revisit this next week and, and, and we look at the rapture as well and how our contemporary society is listening to the warnings of God or not listening to the warnings of God as we close with that doctrine of the hope of the rapture. But Noah's family in the midst of a cataclysm that boggles our mind. Can you imagine every square inch covered by water? Everywhere. That little family was divinely protected by God, though, wasn't it? It says that God actually sealed Noah into the ark. So that even as judgment was poured out, a small little remnant came through it all, didn't it? A small little remnant came through the judgment small remnant was saved to repopulate the earth and that was God's grace wasn't it? God's grace but also part of his plan keep in mind as prophecy we talked about it always comes full circle Jesus would re-mention the flood because another judgment was coming another salvation would be needed Things build to a crescendo. If you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, a Portrait of Prophecy. And we're looking at just this theme of being understanding, that we'd understand what these things mean. We don't have to understand every detail. We never will. But we can understand the main premise of what Jesus is saying, of what uh, Daniel writes, of what, when we get into the book of Revelation, these other things. By the way, the first worldwide judgment, I don't know if you know, but it, it happened 1,665 years after Adam. So you go from Adam, 1,665 years. Since Jesus' incarnation, when Jesus came to the earth and took on human form there in Bethlehem, who Paul contrasts 
Jesus to Adam in Romans chapter 5, calling Jesus, if you will, a second Adam. Meaning that the first Adam brought death, and the second Adam brings what? Eternal life. He reverses the curse. But since Jesus came, so Adam, Adam, 1,665 years. Jesus comes in person to the earth, 2,100 years. So here in the age of grace, we've had an additional 530 years of grace on planet earth. But even much longer than that, if we go from the flood itself, we've had a lot more grace that God's been given and continues to give than our ancestors received. There was also, in that first judgment, there was no nation of Israel when the flood was poured out, right? Israel did not exist as a nation. When, the, when God poured out the first judgment of the flood, Israel did not exist. Now, Israel was in the body of Noah, right? Because Noah had three sons. One would be Shem, where we get the word Semitic, right? So Israel was in the body of Noah, but there was no nation. It was ten generations after Noah that Noah had a descendant named Abraham. Ten generations after Abraham. And so Noah was preserved that humanity would be preserved, that the line of Jesus, the promised Savior, would come forward, that Israel would be birthed, and that Israel would be God's chosen vessel. Not, not better than the rest of us, just a specific role. Just like the Levites weren't better than the 11, other 11 tribes, they had a specific role, right? And all of this would come forth by the sovereign plan of God. Now let's fast forward from 1665 B.C. all the way to the first century, which would then be looking back for us to the first century, and Jesus' Olivet Discourse, which we started with in Matthew 24. And we've continued going through this uh, teaching that he does right there on the Mount of Olives, the very week of Passover that he went to the cross. Jesus transitions, if you'll recall, just kind of a little, little kind of recap, if you will. Jesus transitions chronologically. He's speaking the uh, Olivet Discourse in a chronological way. He started, remember, with the temple's destruction and that deception that began in the first century of people misusing his name. And of course, that persists to this day. All the false religions and cults that have come using the name of Jesus. Then he moved to what? The beginnings of sorrows. That end of the church age. That end of the age of grace where wars will start to foment again. And there'll be pestilence. Things like COVID-19. 19, right? And things will start to heat up around the globe and there'll be seismic activity. We looked at the beginnings of sorrows that we're in right now, the increasing intensity, followed by this stark reminder of the great tribulation, the great tribulation. By the way, it's really hard to think that some days, you know, when you come, when you go outside like I did this morning, it's still beautiful outside and there's not a cloud in the sky. Remember that 9-11 happened on a day that was this beautiful? That was what was really struck me on that day, was how gorgeous, calm, I, I, I remember the beautiful morning I was having there in Cincinnati, Ohio, when I was headed downstairs to the lobby to, to go do a speaking engagement, and it was just a gorgeous day. And so, the whole country had like not a cloud in the sky. 
And so just always keep that in mind that, that these things are coming whether it looks like they're coming or not. It can be before the tsunami hit back in 2000, the, the ocean was gorgeous. Everybody was hanging out on the beach. And then out of nowhere, a wave rises up. It happened in Sendai, Japan. I mean, so the, the, the way it looks doesn't always tell the whole story, does it? But let's look at a quick uh, timeline recap. Um, of where we're at today versus the previous studies. And uh, again, so we looked primarily, I did the foundational prophecy, uh, the foundations of prophecy the first week, then last week we were focused right there on the end of, from 1900 till present, what we would call the Church of Laodicea, the lukewarm church, near the end of the church age, near the end of age of grace. And we have the fomenting of world wars and all the things that are taking place, the seismic activity, uh, the move to a one-world government. All those things are taking place right now in our lifetime. Israel becomes a nation. But then today we're focused here, everything that shows up in red, the tribulation period, which is only seven years of world's history. I mean, obviously we've got 6,000 years of history, and God's going to jam a lot in seven years, isn't he? A lot in that last seven-year period. I don't plan to be here for it, but if I'm wrong on that, I'm still going to follow Jesus anyway. So anyway, we'll talk about those things as well. But nevertheless, that's where we're focused. And then after next week, we'll also be looking at the uh, tribulation through the book of Revelation, because I wanted to have just one Sunday. The Re- book of Revelation is complicated enough that it needs its own, it needs its own day. So it's going to be that. And then uh, on October 17th, the week after Sam, I will cover the rapture and the hope of the rapture. Now Jesus is not telling his disciples, when you think about the Olivet Discourse and you think about the heavy, I mean, this is really bummer kind of news. Because he's sitting there on the Mount of Olives and he starts, oh, that beautiful temple you guys love, it's going to be completely raised to the ground. Not even one stone will be left on top of the other. That's not good news. They love that building. They love their city. But he says it gets worse. He goes on to tell them, and he's not telling them or us or the world or anyone who reads these passages because he thinks this, what, he, this is what I know you want to hear. He's not asking us what we want to hear. He's telling us what we need to hear, what we have to hear. That is the truth about what is coming. The fact is there's nothing that anyone can do to stop what prophetically the Bible says will come to pass. Amen? There's nothing anyone can do to stop it. You couldn't stop the first flood. You won't be able to stop the seven-year tribulation. All that can really be done, and Noah and his family proved this, all that can really be done is to heed the warning. Right? Noah couldn't stop the flood, but he could heed the warning. Peter, James, and John, they couldn't stop any of this, but they could heed the words of Jesus. And preferably, we want to do this before the tribulation wisely. But if anyone even were to pick up a Bible in the seven-year tribulation and they pick it up and they pull a Bible out of the hotel, uh, you know, Gideon Bible that's in, in your hotel room or something, they'd still be wise to obey Jesus even then at that late hour. Now, although we just read what Jesus described, I want to put it up on a list because a lot of times if you're just reading, especially if I'm reading as you know, briefly as I am on a Sunday morning, we can kind of read a list of things and not see everything that Jesus said. So let me just put the whole list up on the screen. Everything, with the exception of number 11 and 12, because Luke records those two 
aspects of the tribulation that uh, Matthew doesn't mention. So sometimes in the Gospels, one writer will write these ten things, the other writer will add two things that the other writer didn't mention, but they all heard the same thing. So let's look at them in the list. And so, as it says, whoever reads, let him understand. We're not just supposed to read it, but understand what is taking place. Well, Jesus starts off, number one, he says, there will be a coming prophesied abomination of desolations. He said what Daniel said was coming is still coming. The Antichrist. Now, he tells his present disciples, remember, they're on the Mount of Olives. That temple had been rebuilt by Zerubbabel, and he tells them, when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it ought not, the preterists or people that are uh, historicists that might would say, well, that has to be Antiochus Epiphanes because he slaughtered pig's blood in the temple, and he did in the, in the Greek Empire period, which we'll look at a little bit later. But that, was already, that had already taken place. He's talking to the disciples about something that will take place. Antiochus had already done that. That was what spurred the whole Maccabean um, revolt anyway, where we get the um, Hanukkah is celebrated, for example, near the Christmas season. All that uh, was when they were able to repurify that. So that had already taken place. So Jesus is speaking of something in the future, something to come. He also says the Antichrist will be standing in the holy place. So a temple has to be rebuilt because he also just said that the temple would be destroyed. So if the temple's destroyed, how is the Antichrist going to stand in a holy place or in the holy place? Because the temple would be destroyed, but it will have to be rebuilt. Number three, that those that are in Judea, when the Antichrist comes into power and he specifically moves the seat of his power to Jerusalem to mirror why, because Jesus will eventually put his kingdom where? Not in New York City, not in Shanghai, right? Not in London, Jerusalem. So the Antichrist, being a fake Christ, will also eventually want to put his seat of power in Jerusalem. So Jesus says, when this takes place, run to the hills, literally. Run to the mountains, to the world. We'll talk about that a little bit uh, as well. That the time of tribulation would be unlike any time in world history. Uh, just like the flood was unique, this will be unique. The flood was 40 days, this is seven full years. It'll be unlike anything the world's ever seen. There'll be cataclysms the world has never seen or never see again. It says in number five there that unless the days were shortened, not a single person would survive. We're pretty fragile anyway, right? We're not even real happy when it's like 105 outside, right? You know, so it doesn't take a lot of stringing together bad temperatures and everything else that we would all, or diseases, we would all fade rather quickly. So um, there's even some, when we get into the book of Revelation, there's even a time where people beg to die and can't, strangely enough. So God's going to do a lot of uh, unique things in that period. Number six, uh, the days are shortened only for the sake of the elect. Those that believe it's really the shortened days or shortened uh, intensity is really specifically for those who are saved. Number seven, false Christ and false prophets and deceptive natural signs will deceive many. Uh, the Antichrist will do miracles. The false prophet that works, again, again, we'll see all this uh, next week as well, but the, they'll do miracles. I don't know if you've noticed, but Americans are fascinated by the supernatural. Marvel comic people. 
superheroes, people that can fly, people that can pick up buildings with their hand. We're, we're just mesmerized by the concept of Superman and Batman and all these superheroes. And I was just, I, something came across my feed. Uh, you know, there's a lot of these magicians that are pretty bizarre in Vegas. You might have seen some of them. And, um, but there was, there's one recently I just saw, and I can't remember what city he was in. Uh, I looked like London or something. But he's doing a magic trick, and he's literally standing it like on air. And there's crowds around him. They're trying to figure out how is he standing on air. And uh, I'm here to tell you that there's a lot of sleight of hand things, but in the tribulation period, Satan's going to give literal power to his priesthood, if you will. And they really will perform amazing things that will... I mean, I, th I think some people will be like, this is what I've been waiting for. Superman and Batman coming literally to life in some way, shape, or form. So again, um, there'll, be natural, there'll be supernatural signs, but they'll be deceptive. And it'll also be woven into the religion, and Jesus' name will still be used in the midst of all that. It's hard to believe at all. Um, number eight, even the elect would be deceived if it were possible. If it were possible. Now some people look at this as uh, it is possible. It's however po they'll, they'll convince unsaved people to give up their salvation. If, if they can possibly convince them, others, I'm on this side of the fence, more like if it were possible, but I believe God seals his elect that they can't be ultimately deceived. But you can look at it either way. Um, number nine, the signs will uh, indicate the second coming of Jesus is rapidly approaching. For the lost house of Israel that's stuck in the tribulation, they'll be able to say, hold on, what does the Bible say? This means that Jesus is going to come back to the Mount of Olives, the very Mount of Olives where he taught this study. His foot's going to hit the Mount of Olives. He's going to be back soon. We might want to read what he said. The Bible will be still active even in the tribulation. These signs will indicate, uh, number 10, uh, there's a place where both the carcass and feeding birds will gather. I'll give you a one-word description of where he's talking about here, and you all know the word, Armageddon. Jesus said, understand there's going to be a place where birds and eagles and vultures are going to eat like they've never eaten before. That's what he's saying right there. Um, and we'll get to that uh, in Revelation as well. Number 11, the distress of nations with perplexity. Um, we see all this already rising now, the distress of nations, perplexity. The seas and the waves roaring, the ocean will become violent like it's never been other than the great flood. Number 12, men's hearts will fail them for fear of just seeing the daily news will give heart attacks right and left. People's hearts will be failing them from great fear. And then number 13, the heavens will be shaken, the skies will be darkened, objects from space will fall and hit the earth. This is, Jesus says all this is coming. But, really good news on number 14. <laughs> the Son of Man. All this has to take place, just like he had to die on the cross, just like the, the earth had to go dark while he was on the cross. Skies went jet black. All had to happen so our salvation could be given but he will come in the clouds and he will eventually gather all of his elect to him at the very end of the tribulation period. So that is Jesus' outline. Now let's go over to the book of Daniel and see how these things help complement each other as far as our understanding. We're told to be understanding. Jesus gives it. Now, 
Remember, Jesus gives not a lot of detail. Everything in that list was high level. Does that make sense? Revelation is a different ballgame. Revelation is not high level. It's very detailed. Jesus gives the high level because he knows he's going to visit John on the Isle of Patmos, and he's going to send his angel to tell John the rest of the story, and he's going to fill in. But this was a, this was a sermon there on the Mount of Olives, not all the deep prophetic details that John's going to be given. But Daniel was given some things that, that are very relevant to understand the seven-year period as well. In the first worldwide judgment, God told one man, one prophet, who was a preacher of righteousness, he told Noah, only Noah, he told what was coming, and then Noah told everybody else to repent. The second judgment, though, the second worldwide judgment, just like the flood was worldwide, the tribulation will be worldwide, the second worldwide judgment, he told numerous prophets. Here's a list of them. And by the way, other names of the tribulation period. You've probably read these in your Bible and oh, I didn't know that was about the tribulation. Day of the Lord, day of wrath, the 70th week, time of Jacob's trouble, the indignation, a time of trouble. And then we have other passages, not specific names or titles of the seven-year period, but other passages directly related to Israel in the tribulation or the judgment poured out on all the nations, the entire globe, other passages. And they include Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Micah, Habakkuk, uh, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. All of those Books of the Bible have something to say about the seven-year tribulation. If it's just a verse, some of them it's multiple verses, some of them it's multiple chapters. So as Jesus references Daniel's 70-week prophecy, uh, here's another more specific view. So a different, different view. Uh, similar to that map I used last, or that uh, chart I used last week, but it's zeroing in and taking out all the church, um, the, the seven church ages and things like that. And just you look at on the left-hand side where I wrote 69 weeks, that sits above. Um, the 69 weeks is the time from the rebuilding of the temple to Jesus coming in the flesh, his incarnation. So you have the 69 weeks is in there. The 70th week, as we talked about, a week is just seven years. And so you have 77, 70 groups of seven. That 70th week, which hasn't taken place yet, uh, that's not built to scale because obviously the tribulation is only seven years. It would be like a tiny little sliver if it was built to scale, right? Uh, and the church age would be much longer because that's 2,000 years. But just so we can kind of see it, because the tribulation has so much written about just that seven-year period, and you have the three and a half years of peace where the Antichrist will sign in a treaty, then you have three and a half years um, after he breaks the covenant, which is in Daniel, um, Daniel's prophecy on the 70 weeks. But Jesus, again, references when you see him standing in the place he ought not, that'll be right in the middle of that seven years. So um, just to kind of understand where the Olivet Discourse, where Daniel and the book of Revelation, how they all complement each other. Remember last week I was talking about the old-fashioned overhead projectors? Remember those guys? You know they still sell these things? I saw them. I, I was surprised. They still sell overhead projector. You can still put transparencies down on top of another transparency, on top of another transparency, and then write with one of those kind of cool uh, grease-looking um, 
what are they? You know, markers or something like that. So they still sell them. So here's my transparency here. Uh, so everything that Jesus speaks of is in the blue area. Jesus is speaking about the seven-year tribulation, but also that period of time just prior to the tribulation, which we call the beginning of sorrows, or the last days, although the last days can include the tribulation, or it can also be thought of as just before the tribulation. So that's where Jesus is focused, is just before the rapture, just before the tribulation, all the tribulation. Daniel's focused on the 69 weeks, right? Everything from the temple rebuild to the coming of Messiah, but then he's also focused on, or what he's given by God through his angels, that seven-year period where he describes the abomination of desolations, also known as the Antichrist. Then when we look next week at the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation is focused on all of that that Jesus said, all of what Daniel spoke of, but in other details that neither Daniel or Jesus went into that God gives the final revelation of the rest of the story, the final pieces of the puzzle, uh, if you will. So Daniel's prophecy was foundational, though, in a number of respects, uh, but for our purposes today, uh, he wrote of this false Messiah that was coming that would establish this seven-year covenant with Israel. And that he would break it right in the middle of the seven years. Israel would really believe that this guy was their Messiah. That this guy was going to usher in a thousand years of Israeli glory. That all the glory of David and Solomon was returning. The Antichrist will have them convinced that he is their best friend. And, and, and really just all the things that they were hoping that Israel wouldn't be persecuted anymore, that there would be no more anti-Semitism, that they would be loved by the nations. But it's all a setup. The whole thing is a complete setup, and it's going to be broken in the middle of that seven-year covenant. Now, by the way, in that long gap of the church age, Israel, most of that, most of that church age gap, most of that Israel did not have a nation or any land, right? Until 1948. So for 1,948, all of that year, all, ever, ever since AD 70, when, when the temple was destroyed. So if you go from AD 70 to 1948, they weren't in control of the land. The Ottomans were, you had you know, Muslim empires that were in, front, in charge of it, you had the British Empire that was in, but Israel did not have a land. The Jewish people had to revive it and bring the language back. So they didn't have a land. But did you know the Bible tells even that was going to happen in Hosea chapter 3, verses 4 and 5? Check this out. I didn't get a chance. Some of the cutting room floor last week makes it into this week. So, for the children of Israel shall abide many days without a king or a prince. That's, they didn't have a ruler, they didn't have a nation. Without sacrifice or sacred pillar, no temple sacrifices. Why? Because there's no temple. Without ephod or teraphim, no high priest, no priesthood at all. Afterward, the children shall, of Israel shall return. That's in our lifetime. 1948. The, everything in black is our lifetime, but what comes next is yet to come still. And they shall seek the Lord their God and David their king. In other words, that the king has to be reestablished in Jerusalem, but it's not just any king, it's of the line of David. 
Jesus. They shall fear the Lord and his goodness in the latter days. That hasn't happened yet. Now there's still more Jewish people are coming to Christ right now than any point in history, and that's awesome. But as a nation, 99% of Israel is still non-religious, Orthodox Jewish, atheist, but just not born again. So uh, big, big issue there. But back to the 70th week. Um, oh, before I go forward, then, uh, there is, by the way, the Temple Institute right now in Israel. Uh, there is a Temple Institute, and they would love to rebuild the temple yesterday if they could get the political buy-in from the United Nations, from all the countries of the world, from how the Palestinian you know, would receive it. Uh, but you know that this would be a powder keg, so nobody is touching it with a 10-foot pole. But they would love to rebuild the temple, and they would love to restore the worship. You can see what I put the uh, red, uh, I kind of drew around it. They, they're looking exactly at what the scriptures say. They want to restore the worship of the true and living God. Their heart is leaning towards God. They, they just needed the final veil opening up. And all this will come to pass. Um, there is actually room on the Temple Mount. You might think, well, don't they have to kind of wipe the Dome of, Dome of the Rock, which is the Islamic mosque that sits there today? Not actually. Uh, I took this picture back in 2019. We were standing on the Mount of Olives, and, and I got this angle here, and I wanted to show you that right here uh, the Temple could be rebuilt. There is room there. Matter of fact, on the north side there is where many scholars actually believe the Holy of Holies was, was right on that side, to the north of where the Dome of the Rock is. And there's, there is definitely room to build the temple. It's a, it's a massive uh, structure there anyway. Um, but back to our 70 week prof, uh, 70th week. Uh, now as Jesus began his tribulation outline in Matthew chapter 24, remember he began with bullet number one of that long list. He began with the abomination of desolation. Why? Because the tribulation seven year period begins with the Antichrist solving all the world's problems with all of his grand ideas, and everybody buys off on it. At the beginning of that seven years, like, we finally have the politician that everyone agrees on. I don't plan to be here for him. I hope you won't either. But everyone will say, this guy has it all. He's got, he got the answers for health care. He can solve COVID. He can solve the Israel problem. He can make peace in the Middle East. He can do everything and make pancakes at the same time. All nine yards, right? So Jesus said, it'll start with him. And you'll see this in the book of Revelation with the, the, the white horse uh, that starts out. So it will start with the Antichrist who will deceive Israel, but it's ultimately to infiltrate Israel, then to surround Israel, and then annihilate. Israel will thought they had met their best friend. They have really met someone who hates them just like Adolf Hitler. But the whole thing is a setup to destroy them. Satan is very deceptive. Um, we have a hard time today, a lot of Americans can't tell when liars are flat out lying because they seem so nice when they're talking. This will be one of the arts of the Antichrist. You won't, you'll think no one could talk that delicately, that passionately, that smoothly, that kindly, and be lying. I see it all the time in our country right now. And I hope you're seeing it too. I hope you're able to understand that liars don't always like yell and scream and foam at the mouth. The best ones 
have you thinking they're telling the truth. And that's why they would deceive even the elect, if it were possible. But he'll try and he'll do this, he'll set this accord, this peace accord in motion, this, this seven-year agreement that all the world will never come against Israel, there'll not be any hatred or anti-Semitism anymore, and he'll solve all these other economic problems and healthcare problems and everything, or at least at the outset. It won't take long before this starts to fall apart. We'll look at next week. He cannot keep all that, and then he'll turn to raw power. But he'll ultimately wreak havoc on the entire world. Um, and Daniel includes in the passage we read in chapter 2 the picture of where the government system or what government system will give birth to the rise of the Antichrist. Now, a lot of details are left out, and a lot of those details are available in the book of Revelation. When we get to there, we can, we can actually see something. That, but the construct is there of Daniel seeing this end-time kingdom that will be ruled by the Antichrist. Now, he sees the image and the first four kingdoms are all ancient empires. They're not modern times. Uh, Babylon is first, and it's a goal. Medo-Persian, it takes over, and the Medo-Persians then conquer the Babylonians. They take over. Then Alexander the Great comes, right? And he sweeps. No one had ever seen a, a leader sweep across more landmass than Alexander the Great, and he makes it all the way almost right there around India, and he has no more worlds to conquer, and he dies, and so then the kingdom is split up into four parts, which Daniel's told that as well. And then, finally, the Roman Empire rises, and it becomes the strongest and largest of them in landmass. matter of fact, what you see in yellow, um, not all that part of North Africa, but the, kind of like the first uh, one-fourth of North Africa was all under the Roman uh, control all of Israel up through Syria, all of Turkey, all the way up into Russia, which would today be like the area of Georgia, that southern part of Russia, and then all of that part of Europe to, to up to about Germany, and then halfway across England, exactly. You have the walls uh, that are still, the Roman walls, that are still in England to this day, right in the middle of the country. Uh, all, and all of, um, all of the Iberian Peninsula with Spain and Portugal, all that was under the Roman Empire control. Now, when he sees the when he sees the image with two the two legs, it also tells us something that only God would have known that the Roman Empire would eventually have two branches. It would have an east and a western part of the empire, where Rome would eventually be the capital of the east, and then the other capital was in what's today um, modern day Turkey, which been, then was considered. Asia, and your Bibles it still refers it to Paul was through Asia, which is all in that area. So you had the Asian side and you had the European side. Of course, the Roman Empire had Af parts of Africa, parts of Asia, and parts of Europe. And so it was considered a world order, a world empire, that it didn't just have one continent, it had three continents under its power. And the Antichrist will not want to have just three continents under his power, but will want to have all the continents under his power. That will be, that will be the focus. But will give rise, I personally believe, I've, I've read other people that think that the Antichrist will rise from uh, Muslim countries, or I, I don't see that at all, because 
It's an extension of the Roman Empire. It's made of the same iron, and the Roman Empire was out of Europe, and it will be a mix, though, of, um, it'll be a mix of these other kingdoms. At, at the bottom of the statue there, you have ten, uh, ten toes, and so each one of the toes represents ten different kingdoms. It's very possible that those ten kingdoms can circle the globe, that they could be ten regions of the world. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of it, but there have definitely been plenty of discussions at the United Nations and others about what could the world look like if we divide it up into, I mean, let's just take America, Canada, and Mexico and make it one country. I would argue there's some that would like to do it yesterday if they could do it. They'd already like to do that. And if we could get rid of national sovereignties because it's really a real pain. The people are all patriotic about their countries. If we can get them to kind of amalgamate and get them to kind of come together um, which again, there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus is going to bring all the nations together. The question is how it's done. If it's done in righteousness, there's a, that, that's great. If it's done in wickedness, then that's a different problem altogether. But anyway, uh, the seat of the empire won't even stay in Europe. It might I believe it'll start there, but remember, the Antichrist's goal is to put his seat in the Middle East, in Jerusalem. So the Ten Kingdom will start there and these kings will give their power to one abomination of desolations or the man of sin or, or the Antichrist. Uh, when we get back, when we get into the book of Revelation, we'll see the ten kingdom picture as well. And we even see some other details about that ten kingdom uh, uh, rule that we don't see in Daniel. He just sees the, the structure of it, if you will. Uh, back to our timeline. So in the big uh, circle there, that is where Daniel focuses his attention as it relates to the tribulation, mostly on who the abomination of desolations is. Not everything that Revelation covers, but again, who the, who the Antichrist is and some characteristics of the Antichrist. Daniel does tell us quite a bit about the Antichrist and how he'll operate. He also obviously tells us about the covenant and the length of time, and the fact that there'll be that midpoint that Jesus, that Jesus speaks of as well. Um, one other thing that I think might be important to understand, remember last week we talked about, uh, in Ezekiel 38, the Russian Confederation, along with Libya, along with Iran, that will come against Israel, and they'll come with great force, and the rest of the world kind of stands back and doesn't interfere with it. And for various reasons. Maybe they don't want to start a nuclear war. Maybe uh, they, they fear if they get involved that Israel will be leveled to the ground either way. I don't, we don't know exactly what. But we know that God defends Israel and destroys these armies. And it certainly would create a wide open opportunity for the Antichrist to then step in and say, in the cleanup of all this, Israel, I will make sure that you're never attacked ever again. Other nations of the world, here's what we're going to do. And so it certainly creates the vacuum for uh, the Antichrist to have a reason to create this peace accord and to consolidate power and say, we can't let another Russia rise up and all of us need to come together and kumbaya and all that good stuff. And so then that's what you have. Um, in addition to 
the things that Daniel covers there, like I said, he uh, does tell us some things about the Antichrist. And Jesus said, let the reader understand. He mentions Daniel. So it would cause the disciples, because the New Testament didn't exist, they would pick up their scrolls and say, what did Daniel say if, about the abomination of desolation? So here's some things that Daniel said about the Antichrist that are important. Um, this first one, that the Antichrist, he will have fierce features and understand sinister schemes. Um, deep inside him is a fierceness. It's a desire to destroy. Um, Again, some people that, when I watch them, and they're being really, really, they're trying to be polite, I'm not seeing polite. How about you guys sometimes? I'm like, that looks fierce to me. That, that looked like a veiled threat. That looked like a really not-so-hidden veiled threat, or, or that kind of thing. And I, you see this kind of stuff. Uh, but he will be sinister in his schemes. In other words, incredibly deceptive. He can sit across the table from world leaders and have them thinking that the sky is no longer blue. Another thing. It says that the kingdom itself um, will seek to crush and break others in pieces. Uh, and this is a direct descendant of the original Roman Empire. So as an offshoot of the Roman Empire, the, the first Roman Empire crushed everyone into submission. The second revived Roman Empire will start out with diplomacy, but will eventually move to crushing. Will eventually move, we get into things like the mark of the beast and things like that, It'll all, these, things, these things will make more sense. Uh, the next, it says that the kingdom itself, this, these ten nations, this ten nation kingdom, will mingle with the seed of men. So in other words, it will have a diverse number of nations, cultures, Languages mingling with the seed means all this diversity, and so it'll be a very. It, it won't be like all Europeans. It'll be a mix of Europeans, African, Middle East, all coming together. Again, the seat of the power may be in one place, but the ruler. And by the way, if you've been to Europe, one of the things that I noticed was fascinating when the first time I went to London uh, was when I went to Calvary Chapel London, and how incredibly diverse the church was. Uh, I felt like I would see everyone in London at the Calvary Chapel look like me. That was not the case at all. And so even in Europe, Europe is so the, the, the Antichrist could come from any civilization, any, any culture, any nation on earth and still rise up in Europe because Europe is very incredibly, the major cities in Europe are, are very diverse. So it could be someone from Africa, it could be someone from the Middle East, it could be someone from Asia. Uh, but again, where the seed of power is. But it will mingle with the seed, and so many different cultures will be represented. Um, it, and yet, um, it'll be strong but fragile. Uh, it's kind of like when you see some of the alliances in Congress. Uh, they like each other and hate each other at the exact same time. right? So we see a lot of that in politics. The Antichrist will persecute and come after Christians and try and slaughter Christians eventually. It won't, won't come immediately, but eventually it'll come. And not only that, uh, we'll obviously do a full 180 and turn on Israel and the hatred of Jews and the desire to exterminate the Jews, just like Haman wanted to do, just like Hitler wanted to do, the Antichrist will want to do. 
But Israel will be completely shocked to know that at the three and a half year mark, everything he said was a lie. And now he would be looking for mass extermination of persecution. That's why Jesus said, run to the hills. And we'll look at that. He'll have a special hatred for Israel, which comes from Satan. Um, and lastly, as part of his evil resume, uh, he will exalt himself above every single thing on earth. It won't be about other gods. He will be worshipped. Desire everyone to worship him. Get rid of, matter of fact, he'll get rid of all the other religions at some point. Wipe them out, and the only religion will be the worship of him, which is what Satan wanted in heaven when he was kicked out. He wanted worship. He wanted to be worshipped. And he will, Satan will literally go into and inhabit the Antichrist. He'll be possessed by Satan himself. Um, and so that was some of Daniel's descriptions of what the Antichrist will be like. Now in addition to these prophecies uh, related to the Antichrist, related to Israel, related to the tribulation, you might be thinking, so, so what about, what about the, all the, the world wars that will take place and the plagues and the, the natural disasters that I've heard about or I've seen on documentaries or the signs in the heavens that Jesus spoke about? Um, Armageddon, the mark of the beast... Mystery Babylon, a host of other prophecies. All of that is in the book of Revelation. Those things that we'll look at next week. Um, from that timeline perspective again, uh, you, you see again, book of Daniel, book of Daniel, all of discourse, but then the book of Revelation. We'll go into deep detail and we'll get into that next week. I'll just primarily be, I'll read a little passage from Matthew 24 and the rest will be focused on the book of Revelation uh, next week. And all of these layerings will hopefully, as we layer them on top of each other, and, and, and some of you are students of prophecy, but some of you it's brand new. I, I'm trying to hit the middle of the road here that hopefully it makes sense to you. And, uh, and I've heard people say, well, we shouldn't even say this stuff. We just wait till it happens and, you know, whatever. Then why did Jesus put it in the Bible? Why didn't he just leave it out? Because we're supposed to study it. We're supposed to understand it. Every jot, every tittle, the whole counsel of God, from Genesis to Revelation, there's not a part that you say, well, this isn't, un this isn't important at all. No, it's all important. And especially as we get close to these things happen, he said it's even more important that you understand. Because this will settle you when you're watching the news. You're like, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> they're actually fulfilling prophecy and don't even know it. They usually are. They usually, you know... When they're doing things, uh, you take like, um, we've got to come to a close here, but because we're going to take Lord's Supper together. But it, remember 9-11? The day 9-11 happened, did you know that people that day were drafting the Patriot Act? That day. It seemed like a brilliant idea so we can stop terrorists, but it's turned into full access on spying on every American for any reason that any agency chooses. It was a good idea if you're trying to stop terrorists that are going to come in and, you know, kill a pilot with a box cutter. It's not a good idea if you're just kind of using it as a power technique to go after. So, in other words, my point is, is all the things that end up being part of the power structure that the Antichrist, the Internet... Great thing, but we talked about with the, the population in Israel at the time of Jesus, or in the, the whole world, was about 170 million people. But today, with your, with your 
smartphone and everything else that we have technology-wise, everything's in place to monitor 7 billion people just as easy as if it was 7 people, right? Because you have massive data centers. So all the reasons they were built were good reasons, but the Antichrist and the powers in the future will use all this infrastructure, if you will, for evil. But let's close, let's close though, with a reminder that God holds the present. God holds the future. He holds the judgment in his hands. He holds the tribulation in his hands. He holds his chosen vessel Israel in his hands. He holds his purposes in his hands. He holds you and I in his hands. And I love what is given to Daniel here. And this is related to Israel, but it's also related to us because we're also spiritual Israel. It's, it's expressly for Israel. Let me be clear. It's expressly for the nation of Israel. But we also have some kind of spiritual application for all of us as believers because you'll see at the end of the, uh, the, end of the verse there. At that time, Michael, who's the archangel, shall stand up, that great prince who stands watch over your people. We understand that Michael is literally given the responsibility of watching the remnant of Israel, not just now, but through all throughout their existence. Michael has been in charge. God says, you always keep a remnant, and they are always, and he's always has. There's never been a time where Satan has been able to completely annihilate, whether it was Esther, whether it was Paul, it doesn't matter. He's always made sure there was a remnant, always. And there should be a time of trouble such as there never was since there was a nation, even at that time. At that time, your people shall be delivered. Isn't that awesome? Everyone who is written in the book. And ultimately, all of us will be delivered, not by Michael, but by Jesus himself, if our names are written in the book. Amen? Because God holds the whole thing. And there's, there's only so much that Satan can do. And eventually he's going to be cast into outer darkness anyway. Jesus said, as we wrap this up, this morning anyway, again, there'll be great tribulation. He doesn't mince words. He tells us exactly what's coming. He doesn't tell the disciples nice little nothings that's going to help, you know, kind of put them in a fantasy landing. This is what's going to happen. But I love what he tells all of us in the same Olive Discord. See that you're not troubled, right? Again, none of this is to scare us, but to prepare us, that these things must come to pass. And no matter what, whether I'm wrong and there's not a pre-tribulation rapture, uh, either way, we will endure to the end if we're really saved. Amen? We will not be deceived. Let's close in prayer.